0: Welcome to Bickering Peaks. With Aiden. And Lindsay. I'm Lindsay.
1: You're Lindsay.
0: <laughs> That's not how it goes.
1: Well, sometimes we go the other way. But anyways, yeah. I am Aiden. Yes, you are. And I'm yes. glad we
0: established that fact.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So We're Aiden going, and Lindsay, we're going we're... a little
0: stir crazy right now because we're kind of snowed in. Not really. not really. We can at get all. out. We just went out. But, but... who wants to go out? <laughs> yeah. We had a big snowfall the other day. Like twenty-five centimeters of snow fell, it's which not that much for our. Well, I mean, think about it for our our American friends. That's like yep. two point three centimeters per inch. So like ten, inches of, 10 snow. inches of snow. Yeah, that's a lot of snow it's to fall snow. overnight.
1: Basically. Yeah, it was basically it was a yeah. it was a fairly large size snow dump. Yes, but it was. It's not like East Coast, you know. No,
0: and it's like P. fluffy I. snow, which yeah. means you can't do anything with it. You can't build snowmen with no. it. But you can drive through it a little bit easier than you yeah, can. Yeah,
1: until it gets wet under and moist and you know.
0: Please uh, don't use that word.
1: Anyways, if you drive over it enough, it gets all slick and then it turns to ice and then it's really bad, which is The road sucks. So that's why we're staying inside. And we've decided to talk to you about Dune instead.
0: Yeah. So we spent our Sunday. uh, Sorry, Saturday. It's Saturday today. Mm -hmm. Spent our Saturday morning watching Dune. Um, Again. Again. Uh, And now we're here. Yeah. Talking to you guys about it, which I think will be. I think it'll be a good conversation because you're finally going to get the bickering that you've all signed up for. You know, it's only been a year and a half. But uh, I quite enjoy the film. I don't hate it. Let's put it that way. Aiden has much stronger feelings about this film.
1: It's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. And the theatrical cut that we watched today was somehow worse, um, which I didn't think was possible after watching the Alan Smithy three hour cut. This two hour and 15 minute version was worse. It, it You actually needed the extra space of the extra 50 minutes of terribleness that the uh, extended edition had. So yeah, I did not care for this film at all. Lindsay seemed to find some redemption in it. I could not.
0: Yeah, you tr- you didn't try, though. I, di- the I, well,
1: I tried so very hard. I went in there with an open mind, and that mind was then just, you know, ripped apart by the terribleness of this film.
0: Get out of my mind! Let's start off by getting
1: into our personal history. Yeah, histories with yep. this uh, franchise, yeah, as it were.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Dune, best-selling novel by Frank Herbert.
0: Yep, written in nineteen
1: 65? sixty-five. Published, it won the Hugo
0: yeah. Award. Um, it, it won a few a few awards actually. It sold like twenty-two million copies worldwide.
1: Translated into every language, it was yeah. all over the place. And so, yeah, it was. It's a very sixties book in some ways.
0: It came out after Lord of the Rings. After uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. But it influenced so many writers who came after that in the same way that Tolkien influenced fantasy writers, this influenced sci-fi. Um, and so many people have credited it as as formative, the, the novel. Mm-hmm. So it really is no surprise that by the early 1970s, somebody wanted to make it into a film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it took a long time. So I think the film was first optioned in like 1971 or something like that. And then maybe it was a little bit later than that, because by the time uh, Dino De Laurentiis had got the rights and and actually produced the film that we watch today, directed by David Lynch and released in 1984, um, that was already its second time it had been renewed um, yeah. because it went through several directors hands before it was actually made into
1: Which we'll get we'll get into a bit more, but uh, yeah, because yeah, the production history of this thing is it's fascinating. It is quite a story in itself.
0: But Uh, that was my long way of getting to the point that neither one of us saw it originally. Obviously, we were too young. Yes, so yes, (laughs) but uh, my dad, the as you loyal listeners know, my dad is a Lynch fan or was a Lynch fan. Was until Firewalk with Me, that kind of ruined it for him. (laughs) Um, And he bought the book. Actually, the book that. My my dad and mom gave Aiden the copy that my dad mm-hmm. had. And the bookmark that my dad was using was the receipt that he used to buy the That's book. Right. Actually, my mom bought it for him yeah. um, when she was pregnant with me in December of 1984, right before the film came out. I'm sure they were influenced by the massive theatrical uh, release release. The Um, the promo and all the 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 promotions and everything like that. So, um, yeah, that was the bookmark. So I have the receipt from from W.H. Smith, where they bought the book in 1984. Um, And then we watched the film growing up. That was one of the films that I remember watching. It was like Star Wars and Dune. We watched them pretty much interchangeably, which is kind of cool to think about. But it really was like it had I I have very strange memories because obviously we watched Star Wars way more. And there's three of them. So it just was... And it's much more popular. So it was just ingrained in my memory. Whereas Dune, there were scenes. Like the Sting stood out a mm. lot. Sting and his winged Speedo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the big knife fight at the end that they have. Yeah. And uh, the sandworms. Obviously, the sandworms... I had very strong um, correlations between that and Beetlejuice. Yeah. Uh, also, Tremors to a certain extent, but much yeah. more with Beetlejuice. Because that was a film that I watched a lot growing up too. So... that. I I saw the film many, many, many times growing up, but I didn't watch it fully in adulthood until a little under a year ago. It was April of last year. Was it? Yes, it was. I polished off a nice big bottle of red wine and live tweeted it, drunk tweeted it, Mm -hmm. um, which was really fun. and, And I really, I think I have some fond, nostalgic memories of that night. That's what's leading me to enjoy the film a little bit more than Aiden does. But anyway, that's my personal history with the film. Aiden... What's your personal history with the
1: film? Well, with, with the, the film, book, yeah, and the film. So I, unlike L- Lindsay, had not read the book. No, uh, I Neither did your dad. That. Actually, he he got about halfway through and he's just like, ah, I don't know, I gave it up. Mm. Which I don't blame him because it is well. It's he had, dense. I was
0: also born. Yeah, like, he, six had six later, so. he had other things. He had
1: priorities. But um, the book. So I had read the book about just over a year ago. Actually, uh, it was because um, I knew we'd eventually probably be watching this. So I was like, no, I want to read the book first. Yeah, and I did. Uh, I enjoyed parts of the book uh it was not uh I, I think it's one of those things it's uh we brought it up uh last podcast about uh hill street blues and the godfather you know they're these seminal works that everybody rips off and everybody kind of uses the formulas uh developed and stuff so i didn't i didn't feel like it was groundbreaking because i've read science fiction that has been written since 65 so uh it didn't have that kind of an impact on me um but there's definitely lots there it's well written uh was a very good writer uh Um, but there was a lot of oddities to it that I didn't really enjoy. I didn't like the underlying philosophy of it, which seemed really kind of, and this is just my reading of it once I haven't read any ancillary information about it, but it seems very anti-democratic, uh, anti, uh, science. It's, it's basically the reason why it's compared to, uh, Star Wars in a lot of senses is because it's basically a fantasy book wrapped up in sci-fi clothing, um, there's no actual science. In fact, the way science is treated in the book is that it's kind of like an evil thing that you, you're not allowed to develop new machines because mm-hmm. new machines are, are inherently evil. And there's a whole backstory. I mean, this is set 10, 000, in 10,000 AD, right? Yeah. Uh, and so there's 8,000 years of history that we don't really have access to, but it, in, through the appendices and stuff, you can get in, information about that. And it's you know talking about how all the different religions kind of merge together into one super religion. And there's offshoots and all this stuff, right? And so reading that book, you get a really good sense of the world. And I enjoyed the world that they built. I didn't like the philosophical underpinnings of that world. Um, but it was a really interesting experience uh, that way. And then you come to the film. And so when <laughs> we, we when we watched the extended edition, the three-hour Alan Smithy cut, uh, it, was, it was very disappointing on a lot of levels. I think like many fans of the book, I would have – well, I, I kind of was a fan of the book – And then I watched this and I was just heartbroken because it just failed in every single way, (laughs) not just to adapt the the story because it actually does a fairly decent job. Um, it drops obviously, you know, a lot of the the back, the background information and it drops a couple subplots and the focus is wrong and, and skewed in my opinion, but it does a decent job of trying to capture a, you know, fairly thick book. I think it's like usually 500 pages or so. Um, into a story into a two or three hour movie Mm -hmm. um and both versions still just lacked something um and it lacked a focus it lacks character development it lacks the world building it lacks dialogue (laughs) it lacks visual flair for me it lacks almost every component that makes uh well david lynch doesn't rely on on dialogue so much but um when he pairs up with Mark Frost, you know, dialogue becomes a stronger element in, in his movies. Uh, but, you know, all the things that even make David Lynch movies great don't exist here in my mind. Uh, it's It really feels like David Lynch was trying to make Star Wars because that's what the the Laurentius brothers tried to have him make. And it just blew up in everyone's face. So... That's my quick <laughs> – that's <laughs> more interpretation. But, yes, so we watched the extended edition together, uh, and then I hated it. You were quite drunk. You enjoyed it. <laughs> and then we watched again and today, and it was even worse. So – Uh, that's my, that's my (laughs) short, not so short history. Um, That's
0: it. That's the episode. We're done. Pretty (laughs) much. Well,
1: see everything I said about how terrible it was, Lindsay found some redemption. I do.
0: I think that, um, and, and we'll get into it in a little bit more detail, but I think that for such a book that is so sprawling, and I mean, I've, I've heard this from more than one person, um, that it's just, it's such a dense book. It's a deep book. There's a lot going on there and you can't do justice to that in two hours, and that's the problem with the the way that film studios were working back in 1982, 83, mm-hmm. even through, well, throughout through the 80s into the 90s. Yeah. I mean, I think up until Lord of the Rings, yeah. when the, that, that trilogy came out.
1: Well, the idea of doing a trilogy yeah. of it, one or, or, story Or I mean, I guess The like Godfather, movies. but I mean... Well, but they were always separate.
0: Of course. So, yeah. I mean, having, having you know, nine or 10 hours, or if you watch the extended editions of Lord of the Rings, it's like 13 hours or something, maybe not quite 12 that 12 hours, long. yeah. But you know, to play in this world and to actually do justice to the book. Um, You can't do that Mm
1: -hmm. unless
0: you have that kind of time. And they just weren't giving that time to filmmakers back then. So we did watch Yadorovsky's Dune, the documentary um, that was released in 2013. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of see, you know, this production was troubled from 1973, you know, earlier than that, I I guess even. But, um, you know, and and that script treatment would have would have led to a film that was something like 14 hours long if it had been filmed exactly as it was so the fact that that film wasn't made is kind of indicative of why dune lynch's dune failed i Uh think because um even at three hours long which is the extended version that david lynch disavowed because it was uh that was the version that i think the tv studio put together or something, and, or I something. Remember the, yeah, there's the a, there's another version that has an extra some 20 odd minutes, minutes or something, something yeah. added onto it um, which was also put out but david lynch had nothing to do with any of those so um even in that 3 hour period and and originally his script was 4 hours long and it was whittled down to 2 but even in four hours, you couldn't do justice to no. it, I think. So, I mean, it, it's it's just such a difficult book. So I think any film adaptation of this that is a film that is constrained by film uh, conventions is going to suffer. And I, and I think that's a testament across any genre in with any book that you're adapting to film. This is a lesson in how not to do it, I think. Or, or maybe this is a book that should never have been made into a film. Which is interesting because Denny Villeneuve is on record as saying um, he's doing uh, a yeah. remake of Dune. It's in pre production right now, I yeah. think. And uh, it it'll leaves. be, <laughs> if it ever leaves pre production. But it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out because um, there was also a mini series that was done in 2000, I think. Yeah, which was Sci fi channel?
1: Yeah, which was about 300 minutes. So about. Five or six hours, right? right? If I can do math. Five hours. So yeah. I mean, that's longer. Yeah. But I mean, people is still yeah. I mean, we didn't watch that one. We but uh, we've heard good and bad things. I yes. think if you were a Dune fan and you compared it to David Lynch's, mm-hmm. you would think, oh, this is a much better, uh, more faithful retelling of mm-hmm. the book. Um, but everyone else who's kind of just a neutral uh <laughs> kind of uh approach to it or brings a neutral approach to it. Uh, is a little less positive of the miniseries. Yeah. It still has flaws. It's the production value wasn't great. The science or the special effects weren't amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it still it still lacked a certain something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's interesting they're talking about. This the the newest version of by Dennis Villeneuve is going to be still in pre-production. Maybe it will be three movies. Maybe it could it'll be. be Dune Part 1, mm-hmm. 2, and 3, and that's right. just the first part. Or maybe,
0: maybe it'll I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend of ours, Donal, on uh, Twitter today, and uh Netflix would be another great option if mm-hmm. if somebody like Villeneuve, who's riding a wave right now with, you know, Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody of that caliber were to take which were to do the Twin Peaks treatment, but for a Netflix original series, mm-hmm. you know, and do Dune, you know, yeah. and, and do with the 14 and hours. do 14 yeah. hours or, or more or whatever. That could be really, really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it needs something like that. You can't do it in two hours. So I think it was, it, and this has been said, it's cliche at this point, but I think this was doomed from the start. Yeah. And uh, so I'm. If you walk into this film with that expectation and if you've read anything about it and you know anything about it and you know to just lower your expectations to the ground floor, you can find positive things about it. And I think that's where you and I had a different approach to this because you had read the book and you're a big sci-fi fan. I am not. I like Star Trek. I really enjoy that. I like Star Wars. But I'm not as invested in it as you are. So you come to it, Aiden, with a very different set of sensibilities. So you look at the things and you f- see what's lacking. I came to this <laughs> and I said, "Well, let's let's embrace the positives. Let's look at the positives that we have here."
1: Okay. There, there's there's a couple problems with that. First of all, none of the problems that I have with the movie are based on it not doing Dune justice. It's based on it being a bad film. There is no there is there's nothing in it that. I dislike because it's not good science fiction. I don't, you know, the the moral elements and the the moral questions and the philosophical uh, questions that are raised in Dune, just because they're not raised in the movie, that's fine. But the movie's crap. The movie is <laughs> not. It is not engaging. It is paced completely wrong. The middle section of the movie is basically 15 minutes, which is some of the most important stuff, and that's just a plotting problem. That is part of it. Was the edit? Uh, the theatrical cut was worse when we talked about this. Uh, the the three hour long, it gave the whole uh Paul and Channy love story a bit of room and everything. Uh, but it's just it's just bad. Like just as a standalone movie, it is painful to watch. At times. But this is
0: okay. But you're it's subjective. It's totally subjective. You're walking into this and you're saying that it's it's a bad movie and i'm saying all those things that you dislike mm-hmm. yes i see them as problems but i don't hate the movie the way that you do so okay, obviously it's there's so nothing.
1: overwhelming with problems how can you not dislike the movie and
0: we'll get into it <laughs> okay, okay okay let's reel it back and sure. let's do a quick plot synopsis yeah A beginning is a very in the year ten one ninety one. a spice called melange is the most valuable substance known in the universe and its only source is the desert planet Arrakis. A royal decree awards Arrakis to Duke Leto Atreides and ousts his bitter enemies, the Harkonnens. However, when the Harkonnens violently seize back their fiefdom, it is up to Paul, Leto's son, to lead the Fremen, the natives of Arrakis, in a battle for control of the planet and its spice. So, <laughs> so as, as far as... That's what that's what the 500-page book has been reduced to, is just the, the high-level plot. Um, there's a conflict... And it's a simple conflict and that's it. I understand that the book goes into much greater detail with Mm -hmm. um, the political situation and there's arranged marriages and marriages of convenience and marriages for um, advancement of, you know...
1: Yeah, the marriages aren't a huge deal, but I mean, no, there's but it's like that's it.
0: not yeah. even addressed in in the not film even at all. Close, no. um, there's a whole backstory with the Fremen and and like their training and their whole history and society yeah. and everything is dealt with in much greater detail in the book. Um, and like you said, the, the that section of the film is given Zero ten minutes. To breathe, yeah. It says two years later, and all of a sudden it's two years later, but. Um, but again, that's a problem with the fact that we only have two hours to deal with the film. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm granting some leeway here for sure. But it, yeah, so I mean, it does it does fine as that. It's it's tough to to boil down a book like Dune to its melodramatic soap opera space opera plot elements when you have so many great big ideas. There's there's great philosophical ideas. There's ecological ideas, um, and all of that you can go into in a book or yeah, oh, a long yeah. miniseries, but it just oh yeah,
1: it's much harder had to it. be dropped. Yeah. Well, and and here's my problem with it is if you had to drop most of the book, why not restructure everything? Yeah. Why not just start with them arriving on Dune? You, you can skip the whole, literally the first 30 minutes is them before they've even arrived in Dune. And it's yeah. talking about setting up it. There's little, there's so many exposition scenes of just like explaining, Oh, well the Harkonnens and the Atreides are, they hate each other, and I'm the emperor. I'm going to pull some strings and, mm-hmm. and get them killed. And there's the there's the Navigator Guild that you know controls space travel and everything. There's all you can get rid of most of that if the if the main story is uh Atreides good, Harkonnen bad, and the Fremen are the ones who are going to help the Atreides get And it's set on revenge. Arrakis, like started
0: on, it in exactly. Well,
1: it, not, it doesn't even need to be that, but. Yeah. I'm just saying you can condense it down well, into mean, a different story.
0: You've hired Virginia Madsen and put her in, you know, opulent costume to narrate the beginning anyway. Just give her a few extra lines and you can erase the first fifty minutes of the film. Yeah. Like, yeah but seriously. then you do get rid of the guild navigator and you do get rid of um well, some of the things with the, the introduction of the Bene Gesserit and uh yeah. the whole so, issue with the the Reverend Mother coming and mm-hmm. dealing with Paul and all of that um yeah. which are valuable but you're right there's but probably a different way to <laughs> no but it is it's 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 a way to introduce those characters and introduce the benny Gesserit and
1: but if you just remove them entirely from the picture okay you so, save 40 minutes and you've refocused on the core problem which is not a vast interpolitical intrigue it is good and evil it is star yeah. wars it is what they wanted to make they wanted their star wars universal pictures right was the ones who produced yes. this uh they wanted their own yeah Star Wars, so make it a Star Wars. Right. And say, sure, still call it Dune and keep the character names and you'd have sci-fi nerds being angry, but you'd have a much better film. And and honestly, I think Lynch could have done something really great with a condensed good versus evil storyline uh, in his hands, but he, instead he was handed... You know political intrigue and and yes all those elements that you just described, Benedict which Hits I think which stuff. I think
0: are really interesting and and I think part of the problem here is that when this film came to Dino De Laurentiis in the De Laurentiis Company, um, it had just passed through the the group that around Yodorovsky when mm-hmm. he was in, interested and connected to the film. Um, and I think it went back to Frank Herbert, and Frank Herbert did a script treatment that would have resulted in a four-hour-long movie. Mm-hmm. And this is what David Lynch had to work with. He didn't read the book. I'm, to this day, not sure if he's read the book. Yeah. I imagine after this flopped, and he has publicly disavowed the film. So I don't think he wants anything to do with it. I doubt he's picked up a copy of Dune yeah. since then and read it. But he was handed a, a script treatment, and from that he wrote the screenplay yeah. with help. But that was... And, That's what he worked from. So he did have source material that he was trying to be loyal to. And that w- that was written by the author of the original book. So and, I think yes. that some some of that can't be just well, thrown out, And
1: that was the initial problem, right? I mean, the, the problem with any project, whether you're building a bridge or a movie, is building understanding what you're actually building and mm-hmm. what you can build within the scope of the resources that you have. If David Lynch was, not David Lynch, if the Laurentiis brothers realized, no, we're going to make a two-hour movie. They would never have gone to Frank Herbert and said, okay, give us a four-hour treatment. Why would you do that? That's just terrible decision making. This is terrible planning for creating a good project. Sorry, this is project management 101. <laughs> it's it, it's true. Like you cannot start with one scope and then scale it back down to a different scope and expect the product to be as good. So my that that was from the very beginning, this was doomed. Uh, not doomed, sorry. It was, this was doomed? It was, it was doomed <laughs> uh, because they, they frankly didn't know what they were doing. Uh, they, they had this great book that was a sprawling epic, and they're like, okay, we're going to make a sprawling epic in two hours. And then they didn't actually try make the cuts necessary in order to have an epic two-hour film. Star Wars is an epic hour and fifty minute long film. You can do it. Mm-hmm. And there was a good template out there. But they, they decided... I don't know what they decided. They never decided anything is what it kind of boils down to. Is mm-hmm. They said, oh, Frank Herbert's great. We'll trust his treatment. Oh, it's four hours. Well, David Lynch, you got to get it down to three. Oh, no, we're going to cut it down to two, which is kind of the production history of in in a nutshell. Is yeah. It started at four. Lynch produced a three-hour version. They cut it down themselves. Yeah. Lynch didn't have Final Cut. This is one of the things that he's been most vocal and upset about About Dune was the, the very blatant fact in the final cut that he didn't have final edit mm-hmm. privileges so mm-hmm. the lawrence's brothers literally just went in there and, and cut it up so i'm saying the de Laurentiis brothers it's a whole family thing yeah. i don't know i don't even know who it is but the movie-
0: aiden's thinking about jada de laurentis <laughs> he's you know he's gone off the deep end yeah, basically yeah, but-
1: yeah sorry anyway. uh, but yeah in fact one of the uh in the theatrical cut at least it, the film is uh, dedicated to francesco i think
0: Oh I don't remember who it was, I don't but it was, it, De it was a
1: Dilarentis. It was a Dilarentis. So. so um yeah, it's a big family production. But yeah. anyways, yeah. Jumping off the topic there. Yeah. Uh so that that's the production history of this one. Let's let's back up a bit though. Let's yeah, okay. let's do the Yodorasky. Sure, uh, we can talk about that Dune. for a minute. So we watched the documentary uh and this Alejandro. Alejandro. Yodorovski. Uh he, he was yeah an avant-garde filmmaker mm-hmm. uh yeah did some really out there stuff in the the late 60s and uh 1970s, 1970 yeah he had a, a couple of really big movies in europe especially very surrealist um and so he had a producer in france who's like "We're we're gonna, we're gonna make a movie whatever you want i trust you we're gonna make whatever and he picked dune and the most interesting thing to me are uh, and you mentioned in the past, Lindsay, is that there's a lot of similarities between what he did yeah. and what David Lynch did. Yeah. They're both kind of surrealist filmmakers. Yeah. And they both wound up doing very similar things. Um a couple of differences, like the set design, you you liked David Lynch ones. I did. I, yeah. And I, I thought the drawings uh drawings I were think done, it
0: would have been fantastic too. Yeah. But I, I just I appreciate the the set design that that Lynch did that and Lynch was working with on um and the team that he assembled to do yeah. dune but yeah
1: yeah and and yodorovsky so the, the documentary is a little like uh if it's worth watching actually i, I think say. so too um but it's a little crazy like it's like oh this is this was the best movie that was never well made and and, and
0: i mean yodorovsky has uh, a very old world kind of sensibility when it comes to lots of um, things lots of things there's there's some cringy moments where he talks about um having raped frank herbert but with love and I feel like that's a little bit uh it, it says something. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um his his approach to the casting I think was really mm-hmm. what caught my eye because um you know, for things like uh Fade Routha, mm-hmm. he wanted Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger to play it. And do uh David Lynch got Sting to yeah. play it. So I mean you've got um
1: um, yeah, Jirgen now for uh Duke Leto is, yeah. is the David Lynch dune. And then it was uh oh, what's his name now? David Carradine.
0: David Carradine to do it in, in Yadorowski's version. Um Salvador Dali was going to play the Emperor, and his muse at the time was going to be Princess uh Irulan. Irulan. And I so that. I mean it's like very out there ideas, but in in a lot of ways very interesting ideas having his own son play paul atreides yeah. and then having david lynch pick kyle mclaughlin to to play a, 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 mo, a role fun. much younger than like yeah. i think paul is supposed to be 15 or something when at the story the start, yeah at the start of the story but um that's kind of a uh a, a, paternal relationship mm. that David Lynch seems to have with Kyle MacLachlan so I mean that in a lot of ways it's very interesting uh, getting Pink Floyd to do the music Yadarovsky <laughs> wanted Pink Floyd well and he got
1: Pink Floyd he did yeah. get Pink Floyd yeah. yes that's
0: right um, and uh, and then David Lynch obviously He's taps Toto, Toto. yeah which I think it has to be because of his love for The Wizard of Oz. I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> hey. I think you probably just heard the name. He's like, yeah, that band. I've never heard them, but yes.
0: <laughs> but also Brian Eno. Yeah, um, yeah. Who did some great music for this. Uh, I really do love the soundtrack, and we can talk about no, that too. But that, That's fair. Um, Yeah, so I mean, just interesting to see. And, and I I couldn't find any information about this. I would be really curious to find out if um, any of the the stuff that Yodorovsky did filtered through this process and, and caught and. David Lynch was able to catch a piece
1: of it. it. Yeah, because I mean... Or Dino De Laurentiis did or something. Well, and that's what I'm thinking is that, uh, you know, uh, Dierofsky and his producer sent out these massive... So what he did was he storyboarded the entire movie. It was a thousand books or a thousand pages or something. It was a gigantic book with all these storyboarded uh, drawings of every single shot in the dune that would have been an 18 hour, 16 hour movie or whatever he said it was. Uh, You know, this huge thing. And he sent it to every single movie studio in Hollywood, every production company everywhere. um, And he never got greenlit, but that means there were these copies of these, and they're like immaculately bound and really glossy photos. And, uh, all the people... That's the other really interesting thing about the, the documentary is all the cast and the people that he got to do this all went on to do amazing things. Oh, yeah, things. you had
0: H.R. Geiger who went on and, and O'Bannon who did um, Alien. Alien. Yeah. And, I mean, all these people did amazing things. Um, Blade, Blade Runner, Runner. Yeah,
1: the original Blade Runner.
0: Uh, Ridley Scott was actually attached yeah. to the project at one point, which yeah. I didn't know yeah. uh, or I had forgotten about anyway. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, I mean, these are... They say in the, in that documentary that Yadarovsky's Dune seeded the the sci-fi world, and there's there's a lot of really compelling evidence that that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, David Lynch's Dune had to have borrowed or had some of that influence come through on film, and unfortunately, Yadarovsky's version was never made. But having seen that documentary, it is really it, it is really fascinating to see that um, how that. And then to imagine how that must have influenced yeah, that production. Yeah, even
1: if it's just, you know, stuff that, yes, like Alien had come out, I think, before Dune. I don't remember. But, anyways, there was. Yeah, yeah I there think it was 79. Yeah, so there were a bunch of seeds out there already. And obviously, Star Wars had come out in, in the interim. And that oh, yeah, obviously of was the, the biggest influence on yeah. the whole thing, I'd well, say. Well,
0: on everything. But then to, to think about if Dune had been the one that came out first, mm-hmm. if Dune had been made in 74, 75, right before uh, the episodes. Well, Before, A New Hope yeah, yeah, came out, yeah. episode four. Um, then how would that have influenced Star Wars? Mm-hmm. And the link then also coming back to David Lynch, who had been asked to do Return of the Jedi, yeah. and then turning that down in favor of doing Dune, yeah. um, says something about the state of Hollywood. I think at the time everybody was clamoring for their own sci-fi movie, I mm-hmm. think, in their own Star Wars. Yeah. So it's very clear to me, to us, I think that that's why this movie why Lynch's Dune was made and perhaps why Yodorovsky's wasn't made in 74.
1: Yeah. So Yodorovsky uh, had this yeah idea it had been floating around in Hollywood. And then, yes, at one point, Ridley Scott was connected to the project. I think I after
0: Yodorovsky left, but yeah. before Lynch yeah. came on, before the film <laughs> options had run out.
1: Yeah. Um, and then, yes, it winds up on Lynch's desk after he's been nominated for that Uh,
0: for the the Oscar yeah
1: yeah, for Elephant Man Um, so he's he's a big in demand director and yes he picks this as his next project which also was interesting because uh, Yadorovsky had also not read Dune when he and when the French producer said pick anything you want he says Dune he's never read it Yeah. so again it has this cachet of being this amazing sci-fi masterpiece Mm -hmm. Um, Yadorovsky was interested in even before and maybe Lynch would have been that too Um, Mm -hmm. but after Empire, after Empire Strikes Back, especially uh, in '80 as well, uh, you know, Star Wars is this juggernaut. He turns down Return of the Jedi to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a, a statement of of the the kind of I guess intrinsic appeal of Dune on creative types. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, yeah. a, and Giordovsky's uh, Dune is great at highlighting that because they just said, "Well, we're working on Dune," and then he could get anybody he wanted yeah. really to yeah. to participate in the project. Um, before they even had money for actually making anything, yeah. uh, which is really interesting. So yeah, so Lynch gets it. It goes through that script process that we've basically described where yeah. Herbert had the treatment. Uh, Lynch cut down the script to about three hours. Yeah. Filmed it.
0: Yeah, it was filmed over the fall winter of 1983 in Mexico City. It was filmed entirely in, in Mexico. Oh, okay. um, a lot of the Arrakis the scenes were filmed in the desert in the Chihuahua province okay. and, um, or state. Are they states or the provinces? I think they have states. I think they have states. Maybe they have yeah, states. Okay. Damn it! We
1: don't know. Sorry, We just mistake.
0: alienated all of our Mexican <laughs> listeners. Anyway, in Chihuahua, and um, there were something like twenty thousand extras, mm-hmm. fifty-three speaking parts, um, nine hundred craftspeople building seventy-five yeah, sets, sets. Yeah. on eight sound stages in yeah. Mexico. Yeah. I mean, this was a this was a huge production. It cost yes. forty-five million dollars.
1: Which is a lot. That's a lot of money, <laughs> especially
0: considering that it didn't make that back in, yeah. in the box office. Yeah. So, Well, I mean, yeah, um, now that
1: would be like 200,
0: yeah, over that, 200
1: million at yeah, least. Which is, yeah, which
0: is like Marvel-level yeah. um, budgets. budgets. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't really see where that money went. It didn't go into special effects. Given yeah. at the time that uh, the things that Lucasfilm was able to do with um, and Industrial Light like yep. Magic was doing on Return of the Jedi... On Return of the Jedi I think I, I would have expected to see yeah. more special effects, yeah. but I think the money did go to great use in the in the the sets. The sets. Yeah. So this is where we have another disagreement between Aiden and I. Um, take yeah. it away. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I mean
1: the sets. I mean they are lavish. They're they're incredibly detailed, um, and this was one of the we. Lindsay and I did a bit of more preparation than normal for this for this episode. Uh, we did read some, you know, some articles describing, you know, people's kind of retrospectives of Dune after so many years and everything. And one of them uh, the one I agreed with <laughs> was, you know, critical of it and said the 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 sets for being so intricate and so big and gaudy feel lifeless. Everything is either on the sand feels fine, um except for the way it interacts with some of the other costume design pieces doesn't make a lot of sense but even uh the difference between uh i think the the original world that uh, the atreides are yeah gaty prime and uh the throne room scene in the on the imperial capital i guess uh they all feel kind of similar uh the only sets that really stood out for me were the green in Mm. the uh, harkonnen uh torture room slash throne place i guess and then the deserts and everywhere else, all the other hallways are just dark. They're unremittingly dark. There's mm-hmm. just dark uh, walls and th- there's no sense of space. Everything's really compact and tiny too. Even yeah. uh, in the Atreides uh, castle on Arrakis, there's these a bunch of shots of like this panel opens up. And there's these guys at a desk working security systems or something. And a panel opens up and you get a, a, a an alleyway almost of... Small little triangles um, in which there's lasers shooting out, defending the thing. And it feels very cramped. It feels Mm -hmm. very, very restrictive. Um, And it's a shame because you look and you're like, oh, my God, someone made that by hand. Like, this is an incredibly uh, well-constructed set. It has a very distinct... Well, it it has a feel to it. I will not say it's very distinct but because it all kind of feels grand and imperial and plain because of it somehow at the same time and it, a lot of it felt to me because it was very 80s it felt like a very 80s futuristic oh, yeah. set yeah it felt like when uh they go to the future in 2015 in uh back to the future 2 yeah. kind of uh you know understanding of of what uh textures and and uh colors they would be using in the right. future it's the 80s but in know, ten thousand one ninety one yeah, exactly, and yes. and that really hurt for me. Yeah. So tell me, what did you like about this set so much?
0: I love the detail in it, and mm. I love that you could look anywhere and realizing that these were not matte paintings; these were, yeah. um, these were actually constructed sets, and that there was so much care put into that. I I expect nothing less from David Lynch and the people that he surrounds himself with. Um, in set design, sound design, he he puts all of that attention into that. Um, so I I don't think that that's uncharacteristic. Yeah. And I and I like that it's cold, mm. and that it's it, that claustrophobia that you're that you're talking about. I like that because it feels like this this isn't a happy place. This isn't a place where good things are happening, and you sense that right away. That these are even though they're ruling families and they're you know. There's there's I don't know how many families in the Landsrad, but, you know, the Harkonnens and the Atreides families are warring. They're they're like, um, this is not a good time to be alive. So it's it's like constantly at war or defending yourselves from attack. So you're not going to have, you know, opulence. But you are there is a sort of Baroque. Yeah. Rococo kind of opulence that's happening there that. I'm really. I, I just feel very, very drawn to it. It Felt like it's not a, a place that I'd want to live in. <laughs> no. I actually saw it described in an article that I read today as though the environment doesn't want the people there, mm-hmm. and that's that's a very important thing I think for the story that's being told. That's true. So yeah, um, that's that's where I where I stand on it. Mm-hmm. I I really respect the the care and attention to detail and that feeling that it that it has, which is something that Lynch is able to do in every. Every project that he does, whether it's a short film or Twin Peaks or a commercial, there's a sense of place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And even though it's hard to distinguish or it feels cartoonish when you're distinguishing yeah. between like, you know, Caladan and it's water it's a water planet so yeah. there's rain and there's green plants and then on there wasn't cali- or many or green
1: them- plants like it was still very dark like it was oh, yeah, never no, daylight no <laughs> of
0: course but but i mean that was its characteristic and yeah. then the um gady prime had the green room and um it, and it's very know. mechanical and and stuff yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it did feel a lot like you had um the the planets in Return of the Jedi or something where yeah. they had very distinct you know you had Tatooine and you had Hoth there, yeah, yeah, yeah so they had very distinct characteristics mm-hmm. that were part of it so I think that's just it's it's a trope that comes out in sci-fi yeah. but it's done in a in a kind of a Lynch way well and,
1: and that's why I think it doesn't work so very well is okay. because Lynch is a master of nuance and and his his sets okay. and his his designs of everything are very they're there to pull it at at subtle emotional strings and stuff like the, the confinement field that you yeah. get on, uh, Arachen, I think is the name of the city that they're defending. Uh, it, it, it feels like that, but you don't get why it feels like mm-hmm. that. It doesn't lead to anything greater. I mean, I, 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 will grant you that's a, that's a good point about, you know, none of these places feel hospitable, right. um, which is a contrast to the Fremen who feel very at ease around right. in the sand and in their, you know, underground caves and stuff like that. I, I, I I'll know. grant you that. Um, But it's it's very very subtle that way, Um, and again this is supposed to be a sci-fi epic. It's not it's not there for subtlety, Um, and so I feel like it's again a a clashing of um, Lynch's strengths versus what the project needed and what the the film actually. Well, and that's
0: something that we both said at the end of the film that it was kind of like it wanted to be this Star Wars, Universal Pictures Star Wars. Mm And it also had to be a David Lynch film and it also had to be like X, Y, Z. It, it was yeah. trying to be so many things that it couldn't focus on one of those things. And and I, I do think that that's part of the reason why um, maybe David Lynch wasn't the right person for this project at this time. Yeah. Um, but like you said, coming off of the elephant man, he's in demand, um, clearly has has turned down Return of the Jedi, which is the hot. That's a hot yeah. franchise. You wanna be on Star Wars. But he's turned that down. Uh he's chosen to go here. I think it maybe he didn't he underestimated um what maybe not what he was capable of, but what he was capable of doing with, within the limitations of that studio system, which may have been what started him down that path of distrust and and not wanting to work within that studio well, system. Well, yeah, and he, because, and he
1: really doesn't for the rest of his career. I mean, almost I I mean, Blue Velvet is yeah it is again um but everything after twin peaks is basically his own
0: well i mean maholland drive was was ruined by the the networks when they didn't pick it up and but then it went on to become a a celebrated film so i mean but he's done things in his own way yeah and 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 the
1: return to twin peaks is the best example he's like i need absolute control i don't care how long it takes any he he held out for money there's Mm -hmm. that whole incident Mm so these are
0: all these are all things that led to that so i mean it's important to recognize that and to look at this and not see it as a as an abject failure on the part of uh, an inexperienced director and an overbearing film production company and the studio system doing this that and the other and i mean there the the limitations are there mm-hmm. and it's important to recognize that but um, I think people who say that it's a shitty film outright it is. are a little bit harsh. I just think it's a little well, no, bit harsh. You're,
1: you're reading into the background. You're saying, well, given all these things, it's, it's not that bad. It could have been worse. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, okay, that, but the, you're the, right. the system failed the viewer, really, yeah. at the end of the day. And everybody did.
0: And you're right. <laughs> there's there's a lot of things that... I, I liked your, your suggestion at the, at the top of the podcast about um, cutting out most of the first... Forty-five minutes, say of the film, and starting on the way to Arrakis. Or, or well, and it d- doesn't even need to be the
1: same story. Like, honestly, it can be inspired by Dune, and it's instead it's Paul. Yes, he lands on Arrakis, and right away he meets Chani, and it's their love story that, that blossoms and forms the basis of the, of uh, his revenge. And she's there to help him along the whole way. And it's 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 a totally different story, right? Whereas you know in in the book even their relationship is is kind of important but it's really kind of secondary to everything else that's going on because paul is a godlike character who's been created through generations and they tried to keep all that stuff and it hurts for well him. okay
0: and this is a good place to start talking about the characterization because mm-hmm. um i think rather than rewriting the whole movie and starting down a path of inspired by which aiden is well on his way to doing i think at this point
1: <laughs> i'm gonna write the fanfish i'm writing the spec script for the next two hour dune okay i'm sorry he's
0: emailing denny Villeneuve <laughs> right now um but i think that uh some of the things that so some of the things that were taken out of the film uh the characters suffer for it and the story suffers for it absolutely there's no question and i don't even have to have read the book to know that i think it's very clear that that when you have filmed, when you get, you've gotten a four hours uh, script treatment that you've cut down to three hours, and then the studio tells you to keep it under one hundred and twenty minutes. And I think the film, the the theatrical version was just over yeah, maybe like one hundred and thirty minutes or something, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, you're gonna suffer. There are things that are gonna have to get cut. But why did they make the choice to cut these things? And how did they? How did they? Yes, are well,
1: just uh, those bad. And right? the
0: way that they they. You, you can't cut these things out without the story suffering unnecessarily, so they tried to put things in, and they did it in the most awkward, ham-fisted way possible, which is with the dreaded voiceover. And there are so many voiceovers in this oh film, and that's God. one thing that you and I can come to complete agreement on, yes. that these are the goofiest things <laughs> about the film. And this is a film with like a floating fat man and milking, milking cats. Yeah. And, and
1: a face with a vagina for a mouth. That, that yeah. The guild navigators are yeah. just
0: beyond, but, um, but yeah, so the, the, the voiceovers end up providing so much of the narrative thrust, which is, I mean, that's writing one hundred and one. Yeah. You, show don't tell. You show, <laughs> you don't tell. And they've got Virginia Madsen, princess Irulan, who's not even named. I don't think in the entire script. Well, I don't in, the, think in the extended she,
1: edition, they do yes, get into her. but not not in
0: the, the no, theatrical, theatrical version. Not, yeah. She's just there. Yeah, she has no lines except at the beginning when she gives this prologue. And she
1: has a couple of more narrative. Uh, yes, as yeah, well, exactly. But, but, not but you much.
0: don't know it, and that's part of the problem too. <laughs> and you don't that, know who
1: she is or why she's doing this or anything.
0: So I mean, Paula Trades has voiceovers. Every character I think has a oh, voiceover it, yeah. at some point. Well, where... it's
1: not even voiceover; it's internal thoughts. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, and but it's so bad because some, <laughs> it, it's a terrible storytelling. Uh, use anyways but it it's even worse when they just think it in their head and then they also say it out loud yeah
0: or (laughs) where the scene just before has shown us that it's implied that this thing is true but then uh paul will say um because it's just it's like it's so obvious and and it's like you don't trust your audience enough you're holding our hand way too much it's it's unnecessary so it just it it does nothing except cause the film to plod a little bit
1: and i think that's a lynch thing i think that is a lynch problem because lynch in a story like blue velvet um he has no problem doing that um but he's not in this mystical world where it feels like lynch and this is another one of the articles you read is that uh, Dune is what you get when you have someone who doesn't give a shit about science fiction yeah. and building a sci-fi world tries to take over the the reins of it, and it felt like this because uh, he didn't he couldn't connect to the humanity of Paul or any of the other characters because mm-hmm. they're kind of fantasy characters they're 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 in a make-believe world and Lynch couldn't find the grounding that he needed to do it. Whereas literally every other one of his movies is set in the real world,
0: right? I mean, but there are mystical elements, elements that come into it, and I think that's why that's part of the reason why cutting out the Bene Gesserit stuff which we haven't gotten into but that's those, this whole background of um, this sisterhood of women who obviously sisterhood of women <laughs> duh um, <laughs> yeah. they, they've been around for something like 80 generations and they have been manipulating bloodlines in order to produce this super being called the Kwisatz Haderach and
1: you've pronounced that so well I, I'm a Kwisatz guy. I can never do it but anyway sorry
0: and it turns out that uh, Lady Jessica who is uh duke leto's favored concubine not his wife but that's paul's mother she's mm-hmm. given birth to a male child instead of a female child and this male child was born out of love and of course he ends up being the the quasat's heterac um the luke skywalker figure which well, takes yeah. on i mean his character is the one that i think suffers the most even though he's he's the main character and he's played very well come mm-hmm. welcome does a Wellman, wonderful well, job a pretty good job um playing this role but it's it's unclear like you said his humanity is is not really understood and at the end i mean at the end of the book you have this sense that it's it's uh it becomes like a religious
1: oh yeah he becomes a god figure because yeah i mean he basically is he has this ability in the in the movie it ends with him causing the rains to fall and changing the face of arrakis which is what the the fremen want to do yeah in the book it's much different he's basically become a religious figurehead and the jihad that he mentions in the movie uh, is kind of becomes the fremen purpose and they're going to spread the gospel of paul muadib yeah uh all across the universe right right and and so which is
0: problematic in its own right and i think mm -hmm. that's the point of the book yeah having not read it, I'm going to tell you what the point of the book is. But I think that's, that's part of what, what makes the book fascinating is that it's this complicated view of a human figure who's elevated to superhuman or godlike positions, whereas the film has no problem giving him godlike abilities to bring the reins down.
1: From Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it was the Toto joke. There was going to be at least one Toto joke. I'm sorry.
0: Um, which I, I think that ma- that turns the story into something completely different, mm-hmm. and I think that that is a direct response to somebody like Luke Skywalker, a character like Luke yeah. Skywalker, kind of taking control of well- of that in this in it, this story
1: exactly and, and it's interesting that uh yodorovsky th- th- in the documentary his ending is described and it's, and it's very different from either one mm-hmm. Uh and that one paul dies but his consciousness spreads out into everyone yeah um and they all say i am paul and and yeah. it's it's like uh you can kill the, the man but you can never kill the spirit and the, or the, the idea, idea right? that he has um which is obviously, christ-like well, and well, very exactly and,
0: and, religious in a different sense but mm-hmm. yeah but it,
1: it fits yodorovsky's thing uh yeah. This one doesn't really feel like a lynch ending at all. No. Uh it's far too happy and far too neat and tidy. I I honestly think he would have done a better job of and then, you know, and then he went and killed 700 billion people or something, you know, that would have Having been the a exit. Bleak ending. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah. Like that would have felt more lynch-like. Um and yeah, so it's it's just an interesting change in Paul's character, absolutely. Um
0: and it ripples out over all the other characters that mm-hmm. he comes into contact with because um, and the fremen are the ones who suffer the most I think based yeah, on and your the description, cuts yeah, for sure based yes. on Aiden's description of what the fremen do they're reduced to this um small band of like resistance fighters who need a leader mm-hmm. even though big Ed is their leader <laughs> um yeah and really I mean I think that that kind of undercuts this this idea of their, their ability to sustain their, their culture and sustain mm-hmm. their um, their whole race of yeah. people by harvesting water in, in very interesting ways, wind tunnels and stuff like that. And they have these giant caverns underneath the sand where they've where been collecting, water they've been collecting for thousands for... and thousands, millions of deciliters, I think is how Paul puts it, um, of water beneath mm. the surface. And then Paul can just like snap his fingers and his and, eyes go blue and, and he ends up...
1: Causing the rains. Causing the rains, yeah. right? So
0: it it it... it removes their agency in a in a very uh, contrived kind of way that i think readers of the book might have maybe that's one of the reasons why they disliked it i don't know
1: yeah well yeah i mean it was part of the reason why i disliked it because the Mm -hmm. fremen are are very interesting concoction in the book and here they're just like they're i I don't know you lose the sense like i mean okay we'll we'll just get into the political Mm -hmm. (laughs) correlates really easily Dune obviously is
0: not obviously. This is a reading that you have. Okay, yes. I'm not okay, sure yeah, yeah. that it's.
1: No, it's true. I mean, this is this is my interpretation of of the book, and in some ex- uh, to some extent the movies. But obviously, Arrakis is kind of your Middle East, Saudi Arabia esque place with the the hardy Bedouin types who <laughs> who can survive no matter what, and and they they uh, they fight against the decadent Western imperialists right. with their homosexuality and <laughs> their control of the oil. That makes the global universal economy go yeah. right. Uh, it's it's a very direct correlation if you choose to read it that way. It's obviously not the only way you can you can read the book at least for sure. Um, but if you do kind of read it that way, uh, the it's really interesting in the book to to look at the fremen and, and how they're portrayed and how they're set up. And yes, like they're set up, they have different clans and and kind of Paul eventually has to gain the trust of all of them in order to. You know, lead them all. Whereas here, simplified to a single, yeah, you get Big Ed on your side and you're done.
0: Yeah, you hop on a sandworm and yeah, and
1: everybody loves lasso
0: her. a sandworm. You're good to go and right? make
1: out with one of the women, and we won't get into Channy just yet, but right,
0: but we <laughs> um, will get into we Channy. will get into
1: Channy. Uh, yeah, but in the in the book, it's 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 much more complicated, and they have uh, there's there's a lot of um, heroizing. I don't know if that's an actual word, but they turn the fremen into heroes. Um, based a lot on their their kind of privation and the way that they're they're considered really tough because they don't have anything in the world they're, they're just naturally hardy and and you know amazing warriors because they have nothing and it's it's a very <laughs> that's one of the parts that really bugged me about the book because um, I mean it's just it's a very simplistic really overly simplistic way of looking at warfare mm-hmm. especially the, the the big war is like oh well these guys can beat our Sardaukar who are also you know, trained to do with nothing and are tortured until they have no feelings and mm-hmm. all these things that, that kind of feed into the to the kind of anti-liberal bent in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get any of that in the movie. And in some ways, I guess, you know, from my philosophical standpoint, that might make it a little bit easier to swallow, but it lacks, it, you have no idea who any of these things are yeah. or any of these people are or what their motivations are or what their background is. Right. They're just considered oh they're the they're the pesky rebels you know mm-hmm. and it felt like again they were going for you know the rebel alliance in Star right, Wars right. Um, but even the rebel alliance is better set up than that I mean it's it's weaved into the plot whereas the fremen are always just like oh they could be our allies and we could yeah. exploit them and then Paul basically just winds up exploiting them to get revenge on the Harkonnens yeah and that's the whole extent of it in the movie right. it feels really weak and it doesn't it it just it's not a good uh device for developing their characters or their situation
0: well and it it's like everything serves to be like convenient plot devices for yeah. paul's personal vengeance of his father yeah. really Father, uh, because it's uh and it happens with the Fremen. It happens with um, the weirding modules that, yeah. I mean, they're completely destroyed when the Harkonnens come down. He has and one
1: blueprint and then he yes. can all of a sudden make,
0: make hundreds, hundreds of thousands of, thousands of them, certain, of them yeah. so that he can arm the Fremen with this these weirding modules that they can mine from the desert planet yeah, of Arrakis. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but well, I mean, yeah, in
1: the book, sorry, just yeah. to nerd it up a little. In the book, there's all sorts of like uh, illegal spice trade going on too, of so course, the fremen yeah. would be able to sell for whatever parts they need. Just to yeah. fill in. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, but,
0: but that's the thing. Like, you shouldn't need to have uh have the book next to you to fill in the gaps in the film. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're right. Maybe Aiden, this this needed to be completely, you know, if you're if you're stuck with two hours, do an adapted buy. and and make a completely different story without all this stuff that bogs it down because there are there are so many things that that come up that there's all of a sudden two children in the and I'm like what the hell are these two kids doing here are they two of the hundred best warriors? that Paul has been given to train in the weirding way no apparently they're just the children of somebody that he he killed yeah and now which he you don't gets even see in the movie no at all. but now he has to be their father and mm-hmm. their mother is now his wife or something I don't know or
1: like yeah a concubine of some sort yeah. it's
0: very strange and and it just happens and well, it then they're happen. just there it, well no it, it doesn't <laughs> happen but these these kids just show up yeah. and there's no explanation for it so I mean odd choices like that that I mean I think even if you added that extra hour it's not explained in the extended edition i think if there was that the fourth hour that that frank herbert gave to them i don't i don't know how much of that was explained there so i mean it's it's you know some baffling choices on the part of um well lynch it ultimately comes down to lynch it it is
1: i mean even in the three hour version a lot of these problems are still there uh one that's slightly better let's talk about her
0: from my dreams channy yeah uh
1: in the theatrical cut it is the worst, and I'm putting air quotes around mm-hmm. this because nothing deserves a more. Love story mm-hmm. of all time. I mean, it's literally. She says the line that we've seen her say three times in in Paul's uh, forward looking dreams that he has. He yeah. can read the future, right? Uh, and she says, "Tell me of your holiday, uh, <laughs> so. And then she says that line, and he says, "Oh, Janie, I've known I've loved you all along." Yeah. And then they're making out, and that's it underwater like, yeah like it's like in over his like dreams, a dreams yeah. not
0: really then they you know it's it the, the whole love story is is condensed like you said down to a few lines of dialogue and it's an overlaid makeup di- scene
1: <laughs> it's it. very
0: it's very quick and this makes up a huge portion of the book
1: well it's not a huge portion but it is it is a significant part of paul because it's him as he's falling in love with Channy. he's he's uh he's coming into fremen Life, yeah. right and he's he becomes one of them which is kind of hinted at here i mean the fact that he rides the the uh seahorse i was well, gonna call it. <laughs> the, sandworm. the sandworm
0: or when he he wears the still suit and he Perfectly, wears yeah. it in the the manner of the the way that
1: Framing you know Lord, yeah
0: and that it's it's hinted at that there's a prophecy we're never told what that prophecy <laughs> is but we get we get a sense of paul um, everything he does fulfills some the, aspect of that prophecy yeah. um so, I mean, I think it's weird because in some ways the story holds your hand way too much and in other ways it doesn't at all. Oh, exactly. So it can't it, make up
1: its mind whether and to do that so or So it,
0: it is very frustrating to watch. um and it's a it's a tremendously confusing story if you don't yeah. know what's going on or
1: if you miss something because they're yeah. whispering. That's yeah. that's another thing. Even especially in the voiceovers, but sometimes even when they're having important conversations, their their voices are really low in the mix. Well, and it's it's, it's a to, very
0: international cast. You've got Jürgen mm-hmm. Prochnow. You've got Kyle McLaughlin, You've got Francesca Annis. You've mm-hmm. got um, people with all manner of accents and. It's, it's difficult to understand at the best of times, but when you've got this, you're whispering and there's, you know, other noises and Sound things going went, on. Yeah. If you look away from the screen for a minute, you miss something very important and all of a sudden you're lost, which mm-hmm. is why it's interesting. I found out today that when this film was first released, they gave up two-page cheat sheets to audience members so that they could keep up because, I mean, in the first five minutes of the film, maybe a little bit longer, you're introduced to all of these crazy words words the Kwaisatz Haderach the Bene Gesserit, the, the Guild planets. Navigators yeah. yeah all the planets I mean it matches up Star Wars does it too but if you call something the force you kind of you, know then, what it is and
1: you explain it right away what's the force you know and yeah. then it's a convenient oh the force is the energy field that binds all of us Bene Gesserit no idea you just see one you see two of them and they're talking about their prophecy that they've been working yeah. on for 80 generations. It's not the same. Like it's, it really lacks. It that could be
0: done better. Let's put it that way. There are places where it could have been done handled a little bit <laughs> that better.
1: That is the biggest understatement of this thing. I'm but I know trying
0: you- <laughs> very hard to be positive. to be positive because I, I think that it benefits no one to shit all over a film. That I mean, Lynch is publicly disavowed it. He
1: shed on it. So, so we should, too, because it is that bad. I'm really, really sorry. I'm, this is me trying to find the positive of this film. You're, you're pointing out some things that I had not considered. And yes, but there are 20 bad things for every good thing you're pointing out. I'm, I'm sorry.
0: One other thing that uh, kind of came up. I don't know how much of it is in the book, but I, I read it in a couple of articles before I watched the film this time. It bothered me in the extended edition and then coming back to it now um seeing the Baron Harkonnen uh with the heart plug scene where he kills the, yeah. the boy in in his green throne room or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that being referenced as you know, an early like homophobic and also Related to the AIDS epidemic and how Mm. this is, you know, it's, it's not an accident that the Baron has all these like open sores sores on his face. And he seems to be engaged in some kind of homoerotic um, act almost with this boy as this boy is bleeding out and dying. And this, this act is portrayed as, as horrific and, and somehow degenerate. But then it's it's contrasted immediately after that with with the scene with um, Duke Lido and Lady Jessica conceiving Alia, who is the the younger sister of, uh, of Paul of Paul, and who is given all of the the powers of Lady Jessica, yeah. played by Alicia Witt, actually, yeah. and uh, a very young Alicia Witt. Yeah. But um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, But I just, I mean, I thought that was an odd choice and I don't know if that was intentional. I I don't want to think it is intentional. I think it may be, people are reading into it, but it is very possible to read into it as being a condemnation of uh, homosexuality and especially at that point in time when the AIDS epidemic is starting to kind of... come out. yeah, 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 and to see that on screen in this way at that time I could see that being really uncomfortable, and I well, don't even know. Watching
1: it now, it, has a, it is it kind very of feels icky. Like mm-hmm. it's not cool.
0: And, but is is the Baron? I mean, is this something that happens in the book where the oh, Baron yeah. is?
1: Oh yeah, the Baron has. all They call them like they have pleasure slaves. Basically, okay. And they're just like yeah, he uses and kills them all the time. That, that's the other one of the things that really bothered me about the book is like human life has like zero value. It's very futile that way. It, there's, yeah. there's a lot of like. Well, you're you're so far below me you don't really matter. Like right. they just like there's all these scenes where uh the Harkonens have left the capital, but they still have all these booby traps and they've left all these men behind to try and kill as many Atreides people as they can. And that's also in the book, and it's it also shows that that lack of value of human right. life. But yes, definitely there's a huge anti homosexuality component to this. Right. It was written in nineteen sixty five or sixty right. well, in the sixties, before Publicly, anybody discussed homosexuality. Well, it
0: was still so illegal. Oh, right? yeah, here, I mean. yeah,
1: and I mean, it's, and that's the thing. It's, it's. We're, if you're you're looking for this for like a progressive view, science fiction oftentimes is actually quite regressive in in this way. Right. And Dune's actually an example of of a book that at least not, to me, reading it felt like that. Mm-hmm. And this scene was very haunting that way. I don't remember seeing this. Uh, in the extended cut. So I don't remember if I just wasn't paying attention or or maybe
0: it wasn't. And I've just remembered this scene, but, um, but it's always bothered me just because, well, a, it seems so needless and it's, it's just murder for the sake of murder. But, um, but then also I, and I didn't initially see it in that light because I didn't have that background context Mm. for the Baron being engaged in this kind of pleasure-seeking hedonistic although that totally fits his character yeah Um, especially the
1: way he looks at sting
0: oh (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah but i mean that whole thing didn't play out on screen but it's still so reading that in um in these articles that have come Mm -hmm. out since then and seeing the criticism of that um i have a hard time believing that that david lynch sat down and said he was going to purposefully make this to be anti-gay but it still comes across that way. So it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, especially knowing the time period that this was in with the AIDS epidemic yeah. it, it and blood being such an important part, yeah. like, you know, I'm pulling the plug and just, yeah, your,
1: your, heart. your heart, your heart just like
0: it's, it's such a grotesque thing, which I think that's why David Lynch did it because that's, it's body horror stuff that, that Lynch plays with all the time. And the Baron is the Baron and the, um, The Guild Navigator Mm -hmm. are the two places where that really comes out most clearly Yeah, with that uncomfortable body horror stuff that that Lynch is famous for, um, which put a lot of people off. But it puts me off for different reasons just because it's it's just so gratuitous. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So kind of related to everything else, uh, it's another visual aspect that Mm -hmm. I found kind of interesting. Uh, and it fit in with the, with the, uh, scene design or set designs and Mm -hmm. everything like that as well. But the costumes, uh, you know (laughs) there's some there's some laughers in there uh the the sardukar who are like the imperial shock troops they basically look like they're hazmat suits like they 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 look completely impractical they have like a little window to see through i mean any sort of troop would need all their senses available (laughs) you know it's just really bizarre stuff and not at all how it's described in the book Mm. Um, and then the the fremen still suits uh that collect all the water they leave the face exposed where you do your most sweating and your hair, you know, would lose. Anyways, it, it, it there's stuff that just doesn't make any sense as well. They're black on a desert planet out in the heat, so like that makes zero sense as well. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of small things like that. Uh, Jessica's uh like I, I i liked some of it um absolutely like the Benegesseret when they're bald and they like they have the shaved head once to become a reverend mother mm-hmm. which is a stage of being a Benegesseret, i guess uh you know they, they get they shave their head and they they have like these really kind of ornate dresses and stuff looks really great the uh the imperial uh guardsmen and stuff like and the military uniforms i, mm-hmm. I love the fact that they like this is like it, it, it creates a setting of, um, this is like a military feudalism again. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the big things about Dune is that history is kind of cyclical almost. So yeah. you're kind of back at this galactic or universal uh, feudalism. And mm-hmm. that's why there's dukes and barons and everything. And that, that's how people's uh, lives are decided. And everybody owes feudal allegiance to their to their overlord, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the military uniforms really give that sense of that. But then there's, you know, the visual effect of the personal shield, which is three yeah, boxes of right. terrible 3D graphics. Uh, and they're they're just confusing as hell, even as to what they do and how they work. Um, even, you know, Patrick Stewart can't save them. Patrick Stewart is a light in this movie. I have to say, when he has the, the little dog under his arm and he's like, for Duke Lido And he goes charging him with his gun. <laughs> that is the best shot in the whole movie for me. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, there's some, there's some good pieces there and some oddities. Um, but I do
0: I do like the costumes anyway I mean I think Bob Ringwood uh, who uh, nominated for a couple Academy Awards he designed the suit, the original oh, hey. 1989 suit. Uh, what's
1: his name Which yeah Michael is? Keaton Michael Keaton's Tim that. Burton's Batman
0: yeah. um, I think that he does a fine job I think there are some questionable, yes, I mean, exposing your head on a desert planet when you're trying to conserve water is a, a bad move, but why would you cover up Kyle McLaughlin's flow, well, honestly?
1: Yeah, or uh, Jessica, what's her name, uh, Francesca? Francesca Arbitness. Anis, yeah. Whew, man, when she's in a still suit. I'm sorry, this is the sexist, sec- <laughs> most sexist thing you're going to hear today, but she is a 10 out of 10 on that one, absolutely. Absolutely probably equally as good common lockman he looks really oh, yeah, good in he has yeah i mean this is this sort is of big Ed, actually i mean you you were kind of making fun of like when he's got the blue eyes he looks kind of uh i don't know like compacted almost like yeah it's it i don't know but
0: anyway <laughs> it's it's not it's not like these are the the worst things i think they fit the the i i just me looking for positives i mean i By think they're means. very distinctive and and they they well, and they interact
1: with the the set design well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they feel exactly. like it's the same world. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I
0: think in that sense it was a it was a success, even if you know practicality suggests otherwise. I would give them <laughs> points for that. Okay, fair enough. We are in your hands, Doctor. Your gift of the steel is much appreciated. What do you give us next? So one thing that we
1: did, season? I think, agree on is the music. Which was pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, a lot of the time I didn't know it. It, didn't, it doesn't sound like Toto, the the popier stuff of Toto. It, it feels no. like Toto is more like
0: it's eighties, um, big film score. It's it's Brian Eno. It's a Brian yeah, Eno yeah. meets meets Toto, right? Yeah. Like that's what. And the soundtrack really does benefit from that. I mean, it's it is is a little jarring mm-hmm. to have electric guitars playing with. Uh, Big Ed and Agent Cooper riding a sandworm across the desert of Arrakis, but I mean, it works in some way. It does very much work. It's it's a very '80s film. Yeah, there's no way around it. I mean, but whatever, it's fine because I think it's it does work very well having um, a band of that type and a, a musician or a producer like Brian, you know, mm-hmm. also working on um, composing some of the, the songs here. It just works. I don't know what you else know, to it, say. It's, it's true. Worth yeah, li- it's worth listening to.
1: Yeah, of all the, there was only one. Like, I laughed a lot at this movie because it's so bad. But there was only one electric guitar part that I did laugh at, which is good because the rest of the movie I laughed at many things. So, of all the <laughs> elements of the movie, music I was the one movies. I laughed. Made me laugh. At this, yes. So.
0: Alan sweat once again david lynch surrounds himself with the same group of people um and Alan spot was sound designer on this so um i can't think of anything off the top of my head that it's not like eraser head or the elephant man which mm. have you Make know kind specific. of a droning yeah. sound but i think each area of the the worlds that we that yeah. we go to have um
1: a particular sound to them. Yeah. yeah
0: and i think that's um I think that's to be expected. So it works. Yeah. Just like, I. so I think that's, that's the one place where, you know, the music and the sound design are the two places that I think we can both agree.
1: Except, <laughs> here's where I come in. The, the mix is just terrible. Like the, the whispering is, is completely unnecessary. Sure. And then the, the, uh, again, it's mostly just the overdubs and the, the, the internal thought processes, but you know, they come in at awkward timing. You can tell a lot of them were dubbed, well, after fact, because they don't allow time for the audience to like, hear it and interpret uh, what's being said before the the character continues talking or, or something else happens in the scene or something. Right? Well,
0: and that's where I think it's very clear that um, those were added when that last hour was chopped off. Yeah. And a lot of the maybe this plot development would have happened, you know, in space that had been cut. Um, now, all of a sudden, it's being relegated to... You know, they've called all the actors back mm-hmm. to do a voiceover, and they're not editing the scenes at all. They're just going to put them over top, so that that makes it awkward when, um, you know, Paul is speaking, uh, like an aside or an, an mm-hmm. internal thought, but Lady Jessica's face is on screen. Or yeah, because um, yeah. they all Jenny's sound yeah somehow they all
1: sound the same. When yeah,
0: I mean it's yeah. very well. You can tell that it's Paul, but it's just.
1: It's he's instantly. not
0: on screen, so you don't know whether he's actually saying it or whether yeah. it's internal. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, but also, you know, usually with an aside, you focus on the person who's having the the aside, you know? So it, like in Shakespeare, when a character has an aside, they're speaking it to the audience. There's no question whose who's thoughts those are. Whereas here, it, it does seem like it, you know, at, like there were some points where... Um, Princess Irulan, so Virginia Madsen is giving a voiceover, and it's not immediately clear that, that she her. is speaking yeah. because she's a character we've forgotten about because the last time we saw her was an hour and a half ago. So it's strange in that in that way, um, but I think it was necessary, or they felt it was necessary. It's not necessary. I think a lot of those asides and internal thoughts could have been stripped. Without yeah, yeah, and honestly, it wouldn't affect. We've already much, mentioned yeah. that, yeah. but. Um, they felt it was necessary to keep the plot going. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I am permitted to pass over me. So we asked Don't some of our uh, loyal listeners and friends to um, send us their thoughts about the film. And uh, we got a few really good responses. I think Aiden... You are the dissenting opinion. Most people that we talk to haven't
1: watched the movie. No, they long time.
0: watched it and they enjoyed it very thoroughly. Our friend Eileen, who has been on the pro- on our podcast yes. before, uh, we worked together at Twenty Five Years Later Site. She is one of my fellow editors. She says, "Dune is an imperfect film, to be sure. No one can claim otherwise. But despite the many criticisms, I still really love the film." I resisted watching the movie before I finished the book. I can't imagine what it must be like to watch without having done so. Pretty near impossible to understand, I suppose. The bleak tone and majestic visuals perfectly capture the mood of the book, despite the many plot alterations and deviations. Dune is not a happy story. Even though Paul Muad'Dib is successful in his quest, the outcomes are almost worse. Paul becomes a rally point for religious zealotry. What began as a quest for freedom is twisted into something disgusting. Obviously, the film never makes it to that point, but the emotional threads of the film leave viewers feeling uneasy, even as Paul takes on the crown, as if they can see where things may be headed. Visually incredible, things feel both incredibly familiar and far more alien than other similar works. It's not a movie you watch simply for pleasure, unlike most films these days. It's not satisfying to watch by any means, but it doesn't have to be. It evokes the feelings it's supposed to and doesn't pretend at a happy ending. In that, at least, it is true to the book. And who doesn't love a nearly nude sting? A fantastic score by Toto, Sir Patrick Stewart running into battle with a pug, or the <laughs> wind frequently blowing through Kyle McLaughlin's glorious mane of hair.
1: She just she did just name the best parts of the movie. By she far. did,
0: she did. We all we all said that, which <laughs> yeah, I think is, is yeah. hilarious.
1: Um but yeah, I disagree with everything. <laughs> I mean like I, I the ending feels uplifting. It shouldn't, but it does. Uh, and yeah, I just, no. sorry, go on to the next one. I'll okay. save all my, my hatred until the end.
0: Um, another one of our writers on 25 Years Later's site, Rob King, he writes that I certainly don't hate Dune and I've never fully understood why someone would side-eye at Aiden. That was my own aside. Rob didn't say that. But I felt it. It is its very own flavor of science fiction. When I first watched it, it was on television, playing in rotation with films The Lakes of Soylent Green, Westworld, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. I was in junior high watching all of these for my first time in the early 90s, maybe 1993. I remember seeing the posters for it in the video rental stores as a child in the 80s. It wasn't foreign imagery. The Sandworm's Kyle MacLachlan suited up. Now the political story was completely lost on me. It gained in nuance as I grew older. I've never successfully gotten into the novels, so Lynch's version is my entire knowledge of it. I can see being annoyed at the Harkonnens. The imagery ascribed to them is uncomfortable to say the least. But that was also completely new to me in science fiction in those formative years. Dune feels like a logical initiation into a grittier, more adult science fiction when one has grown up on Star Wars predominantly and Star Trek reruns only when sick in a back bedroom with nothing else to watch on daytime television. The stakes feel higher and the danger sharper, more jagged and evil in the world of Dune amid its filtered scenes and unavoidable spiced eyes. It is difficult for me to put into words. I was certainly not surprised somehow when I got to college and met a girl who was a fan of Dune. When I visited her house to watch the film, she informed me that she was a practicing witch. I mean, right? (laughs) The whole environment with that film just felt complimentary. And it has to me ever since. So Dune to me is a definable palette in a spate of science fiction experiences, colors, stakes from childish to adult that I think of as pit stops in my journey through pop culture and film. Oh, and the over the top rock and roll of its time. That's a space opera. Those aspects of cheesiness also make it its own. All right. No, I think he makes a really good point (laughs) about this being a grown up sci fi, which I think it is. And I think that's something that I really feel drawn to when I talked about it feeling colder Mm -hmm. and more um, inhospitable. Um, I think that's exactly the feeling that I had, uh, that Rob put into words here more beautifully and more eloquently than I could, um, because Star Wars feels like it's it's ch- child's play compared to this. In that respect, yes. there's there's a lot of very easy to digest bad guy, good guy, um, the Force is good, the Darth Vader's bad, um, and I, obviously it's more complex than that. But that's the that's where you're at. And then Dune takes this and and bumps it to a a different level. And like I said, even though you I didn't read the book, you don't have to have read the book to understand that there's a depth there that the Mm -hmm. the book then can lead you to. So I mean, Rob hasn't read the book. Eileen has read the book and read it before she watched the movie. So I think that's um and and she couldn't understand how anybody couldn't have done that. And and I've actually read the opposite where people say you should watch the movie before you read the book because it kind of acts like the sparks note version yeah yeah you know where you can then take it and distill it um down to this basic plot point yeah and then from there if you understood that going into the book is a lot easier yeah
1: no i think i, I mean i'm glad i read the book first because i would never have read the book after watching this movie really yeah but so bad <laughs> so i would have thought oh there's no way this i'm book more interested
0: good. In, in reading the book well now.
1: And, and after talking about it and stuff and maybe watching having watched both versions mm-hmm. and saying oh there's more than the extended cut maybe I would have eventually come around to it, but um, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the, the book has all that depth that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for adult science fiction, it's, it's obviously Mm -hmm. one of the classics. Um, But yeah, as a standalone movie, it just, it has no redeeming qualities for me whatsoever. Uh, Everything is bad. I just, I, I really can't get past that. And it's, maybe it's a fault of mine, but I, I, I demand a certain level of competence in the storytelling at least to, to draw me in. And and this movie just continued pushing me away every single minute. And at the end of the movie, when I consider the totality of what I watched for two hours and 10 minutes, I think that was just all wrong. <laughs> like at one point I was like, nothing's happened. And I paused it while we were watching it this morning. I'm like, it's 58 minutes in mm-hmm. and literally nothing has really happened yet. They hadn't even kidnapped Paul or anything. Um, and if that was again, but it, fa- it was very faithful to the book up to that point mm-hmm. for the most part. So if he'd had five hours, if he'd had six hours, if, if you know, Yodorowsky had had his 14 hours, maybe that would be a really great movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you, you can give, just like we had with the return, you can give the moments that need that time. You can give it to them. To breathe. Exactly. Yeah. You can have them breathe and enjoy it as a whole.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that's an important thing to remember. Um, in the development of Lynch as a director, as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. as and as an artist, is that um, having Dune, the experience of making Dune, and seeing what happens when you have to whittle away at a story to get that, that basic element, which can work. You can make that work, but it's not a, a place where everybody can can yeah. really blossom. And this is definitely not Lynch blossoming. So, But the return allowed him to do that and I think that if he you're right if he had been given that time it might have been a, a, well it definitely would have been a very different kind of story uh, so JC at 25 years later also chimes in she says okay so I only have a few points about Dune my mom chimed in too she loved the storyline the acting was different than anything else at the time yes Star Wars was around the same-ish time but this was a deeper story and I think we all kind mm-hmm. of have gotten there Obviously, it had the first Kyle opportunity, so that was indeed memorable. (laughs) But all the great actors that were part of this were great as well. The total soundtrack wasn't that bad either. Khan's Sean Young is Chani. She just seemed overacted. I would have rather seen him end up with bitchy Virginia Madsen, which I've seen a deleted scene in which Paul does. So I think that is a reference to what happens in the book that is um, taken out of the film and may have been part of that three or four hour Uh, extended version because Princess Irulan ends up as Paul's wife in the book but um, that is not addressed at all in the film which explains why she was chosen as
1: really because in the book she's married to him but they're never going to have kids because she is actually in love with Channy so he's just married her so that he can become emperor basically right. uh and then she winds up being this like left out woman who who just basically narrates and, and records the rest for history mm-hmm. of, of everything that happens. so that's why she's a narrator yeah in the film which yeah. is not explained at all it's
0: not explained <laughs> but if you know that then it makes a little bit more sense sure uh jc finishes by saying overall this is one of my all-time cult favorites that i have to watch whenever i see it's on if only for the speech that kyle gives to all the freeman warriors Believe me, if I heard that speech, I'd follow Kyle into a fire full of spice worms with only my char-chuck-killing weapon and still soup. So, yeah, again, another person who really loves the film for all the reasons that you seem to dislike it, Aiden. You're the minority. I am.
1: Apparently me and everybody else who's ever seen the movie. Well, I think
0: part of it is that it's it's, time is a little bit kinder. It has a 56% Rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, sixty-six yeah. percent or something on IMDb, yeah, and something like seventy-five or seventy-six percent of people on Google have have given it a thumbs up. So I think over time people have have started to look at it a little bit more kindly.
1: I I don't I just don't get it. I mean, there, I was laughing. I was laughing at how bad it was. It's almost like The Room. I mean, and and that is not a good movie. I mean, I love watching The Room because it is bad and funny, but we should not confuse. Funny because of bad and good, <laughs> and I don't know if people are. I honestly, people might be like, "Oh yeah, that that was so cheesy and bad." I I really love watching it because it's a mindless movie, and that's fine. And it's fine to enjoy it for that mm-hmm. reason. But I mean, let's not let's not give it five out of five. Well, <laughs> no, and
0: and that's what I mean. Like, I don't love love the movie, but I don't hate it either. I don't. I don't. There aren't many movies that I hate. I think the only movie that I ever hated was Sin City, and I walked out of that movie. It's yeah, yeah. the only movie I've ever walked out. But you of. just
1: didn't like the gore.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was a very specific part of the movie that I disliked. So I mean, I, I get it that you're adding up. Like, if I was in your mind, I would hate this movie too because you found nothing <laughs> Honestly, redemptive yeah. about it. But but it's interesting that you mentioned The Room because uh, I put this out on Twitter. And a, a lot of people did respond to us. If you're interested in, in checking it out, um, you can go find our tweet. I'll link to it in the um, SoundCloud description. Um, a lot of comments, people giving their opinions, and somebody did compare it to the room. Defiled cinephile at movie masochist says, "Love it, but in a so bad it's amazing the room kind of way," which I is. think maybe is is part of it. I think there's there's an element of uh, let's watch the train wreck. Yeah, but um well,
1: OK, my favorite summary <laughs> of watching Dune is from Yoderovsky. I was the just going to say <laughs> is he was he he never wanted to see it because he was like, no, this was my project. I was so happy. Even and though David
0: was, Lynch, somebody that he respected yeah. was doing the film. Well, he, that made it
1: almost worse. Yes. He's like, I like Lynch. He's going to do such a good job, but it's not going to be my movie. I'm going to be so upset. And he went in there and he's like, fine, I'll watch it. His
0: sons convinced him to go. Yeah, I think, yeah, right? exactly.
1: And then he gets in there. And he just starts smiling and the smile gets bigger and bigger because he says it was a failure. (laughs) It was a gigantic, colossal failure. Everything about it sucked. So his, his dune still remains unmade. It's, it's out there in the world and it's in his head the way, the way it still could be. Right. Um, And Lynch did not even approach that. So uh, that's how I feel about it too. I feel like there is a great movie to be made. Maybe this will be a 10 piece Netflix feature at some point. I mean, I mean the fact that Lynch went back to do Twin Peaks and mm-hmm. made it into that mm-hmm. into the the movie that we saw, um, gives me hope that maybe you know uh, is his name Dennis Villeneuve,
0: Denny, Dennis. Denny, I've heard it both yeah.
1: way. Uh, when maybe he'll say, you know what? No, I'm doing an 18 hour movie give me the money, I will I will do the Dune as it deserves. And this
0: is where I think uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost doing the return the way they did it is going to have a great influence on people going forward because mm-hmm. it gives people the permission, it gives filmmakers the permission, and it gives audiences the permission to to linger in those scenes and to experience something that is vast and completely immersive in a way that nothing else could have been, mm-hmm. unless it was in that space of x number of hours well
1: and and lord of the rings i again just to go back full circle i feel like that really was the turning point for Absolutely. for creating a, doing an epic you know putting the money and the resources and trusting a filmmaker yeah. to tell this kind of story um it, i mean it won every academy award it was nominated for in for return of the king i think right. it won 13 out of 13 nom- so. uh, awards and it deserved them because as a, as a whole project it was it was incredible, and again, to go back to my thing about the project, they you know New Line Cinema uh, said, "No, Peter Jackson, we're giving you 150 million. You are going to make a 14 hour movie or a 12 hour yeah. movie, yeah, and we'll cut it down a little bit. You know, it'll only be we'll nine and a half. We'll release it
0: three in we'll three parts.
1: It, exactly, and, we'll do it in three parts. Yeah, that's how we'll recoup our money. We'll find a way that works for you to tell the story, in a, in a way that audience. well, can and that's with. that's
0: where uh, a studio like New Line Cinema can do that because they were young and spunky and mm-hmm. they weren't as you know they weren't universal they weren't um yeah, they were 20th century fox yeah. or whatever and and it's something that we've gotten away from a little bit in in the movie industry these days where it's these big tentpole projects that have to pull in 500 million dollars or whatever Minimum, it is yeah but otherwise they're considered an abject failure so you you don't have the kind of experimental um feel that you even had when 18 years ago was when uh lord of the rings yeah. know, the fellowship of the ring came out yeah. so i mean um well it's that's funny. not something that, that happens anymore well
1: it is funny though because that's kind of one of the things that made it go that way because yes exactly it, it, there was so much money poured into this one project yeah. it had to be a big success and it was um and now you and have now, yeah. dc
0: and marvel making like they're adapting things from comic books that mm-hmm. are you know what 60 years old in yeah. some cases yeah. right or older. Yeah. So those are adapted screenplays yeah. and they're being turned into, you know, sequel, after sequel and the, the whole MCU and DC is trying it now, too. So, I mean, these are things that they came out of that, but they've skewed film yeah. by the studios in a very specific direction that leaves people like David Lynch um, and other filmmakers and people who want to have more creativity Fewer outlets yeah, going back to TV or program. places like Netflix yeah. or Crave small or screen, small, screen. small screen stuff and
1: and it's but it's funny because I mean if you look at the Oscar lists come have come out and mm-hmm. everything it's all small budget indie movies now that are that are nominated and they, and th- so there's there's kind of the artistic side on one thing on one end of the mm-hmm. spectrum and then there's the big budget blockbuster there's no middle ground anymore there's right. no there's no inventive middle movies no. um i mean something like blade runner 2049 would probably be fit the bill kind of or something like dunkirk where it's it's a big epic but it's not a 400 or it's not a 300 million dollar epic it's well, and, and, I mean, it's a 50 million dollar
0: even even to the point where you had like fun popcorn movies that mm-hmm. weren't big budget films but they weren't art house films either yeah. like the ear of the rom com has completely yeah, disappeared. disappeared yeah. Um, so you know, that doesn't exist anymore. It, it's just a totally different landscape when you when you've polarized things to the degree that we have mm-hmm. where it's either art house or, you know, several Disney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, really. Yeah. Several hundreds of millions of dollars of
1: CGI and everything, everything yeah. right? Yeah
0: promotion and yeah. talent and everything like that yeah. so i mean this has gotten away from things a little bit but it if you reel it back yeah you go through lord of the rings and you come back to dune. the the 1960s and 70s and projects like dune and star wars that kind of set things for this summer blockbuster into motion and mm-hmm. uh it's and it, just interesting to think about how things would have gone differently if it had been Yodorovsky's version or if it had been you know, just a year or two before uh, Star Wars or right. if Universal had given David Lynch permission to do, you know, a nine hour or 10 hour version of Dune and
1: split it into three movies or something, you yeah.
0: know, yeah. how differently things would have turned out or maybe they wouldn't have it all. We'll, well yeah, never yeah, know. Yeah, well, exactly.
1: I mean, they might have ended up making a nine-hour movie, and then the first one bombed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if it still had that friggin' overlay. Of well, the, and, and I mean, <laughs> they, he
0: did have permission to do the uh, there two were more be two movies. Sequels, yeah. So there, there were going to be three movies total. Um, which is very similar to what happened with Firewalk with Me. He had mm-hmm. the the option to do two more movies with Twin Peaks, and and that never happened. So, um, yeah, I mean, the what ifs and what could have been are. Innumerable.
1: Yeah, but it's worth thinking about. It. I mean, it's definitely interesting.
0: And especially when you've been bored to tears as Aiden was by the film that we do have.
1: I wasn't bored. I'm not, I'm not bored. Like it's a very watchable movie in the sense of just like I turn off my brain and I try not to think about the dialogue. I mean, honestly, because I because I had read the book, that's why I enjoyed the movie yeah. as much as I did, which is not much at all. But because I'm like, oh, that's how he did Channy. That's how he did the, right. the Fremen, you know? Right. Um and some of the things like there are certain elements i'm like oh yeah that's exactly how that should be mm-hmm. like based on my mm-hmm. from what i thought of the book um and when those lined up it was it was enjoyable and yeah. even seeing the, the deviations from that were, were interesting in their own way it just as a standalone movie I, I i can't abide it at all but sorry
0: don't apologize to me apologize to well don't apologize to david lynch because no he doesn't care <laughs> but um uh, yeah, and obviously i take the opposite view. I think it's it's not a movie that I would sit down and watch again right now, but I could watch it again and maybe in another year. Maybe it'll be a yearly tradition for me. I'll just watch it.
1: With that bottle of wine in hand, you'll be well set. Tonight you were working on uh, uh, Spiced Rum.
0: Yes, I was. I, I went, my drink of choice for tonight's podcast, sponsored by Arrakis Mining, <laughs> um, my Captain Morgan Spiced Rum Coke, finishing off the last of what was left over at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, yeah no i think i think it uh it was it was a fun movie this was a fun podcast was it uh david lynch that i expected not in any way no nope. and well maybe in some very small places but definitely not on the level that i have come to know david lynch as a filmmaker um where are we going next
1: uh, next up is we're returning to mark frost yeah for the equalizer
0: the equalizer
1: and i think mark frost only wrote two or three episodes so we'll probably just watch the mark frost episodes and report back to you but it's it's kind of interesting to think that david lynch released dune in 84 and uh, hill street blues came out around the same time that was the time mark frost was running hill street blues and man what a disparity of quality i gotta say so that's our podcast for the week. Thank you for joining us for Dune. Yeah. I'm really sorry you had to join us for this. I'm really
0: glad you, terrible, all, s- you all sat with us through film. this. And I hope you all go and watch it now.
1: I, yeah, I do. Watch it. And then you'll agree with me. And you'll be like, wow, Lindsay, I'm never going to trust anything no, she says no. ever again. Everybody's
0: going to go on Twitter and say, oh, Lindsay, you were so right. This movie is not as bad as Aiden made it out to be.
1: No, you won't. But I'm glad you could think that. Of If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks. All one word.
0: You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks.
1: Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.